It's the Camp Danny Show. Hello, everybody. It's Dan Nichols back in the studio. Episode 18 of the Camp Danny Show. We're in the studio today with John Paul Farrell. Hi, JP. Hey, what's up? How's it going? It's going great. It's a rainy day here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We need the rain. Happy times. Gotta cool things down. Let's get right to it. Last show, first show, a lot of room for improvement. Number one, show is two and a half hours long, even longer than that. Fine. Note to self, make it shorter. I get it. Got it. Good. So, fine. We're going to move along. we got lots of things to talk about, and we got a very special guest in the studio today. We're excited to have Zach Singer, a musician from Los Angeles, California, joining us. So... We're going to start off our show today with Camp Chitty Chat. Let's just get the spielkies right out. Take a few couple minutes, two minutes maybe. Let's talk. Camp Chitty Chat. JP, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. What's your week been like? Well, my week's been good. I've, uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of work at uh, some music venues around here. Um, going to work at King's Barcade tonight for their Spelling Bee, uh, spelling bee Night. King's Barcade, not King's Arcade. No, no, Barcade. Are there arcade games in I, the bar? You know, like a I haven't seen one. I haven't Tell me seen there. one. Tell me there's Donkey Kong. No. Unfortunately, I don't think they have any. I don't know why they call it Barcade, but they don't have any arcade games. Tron. No. They okay. don't. But, um, That's not okay. Luckily, I don't have to do any spelling tonight, which is good. You're just the mix master? Just the mix master. One, one mic. One mic and a ding. Okay. So... Right. That's that's what's up with me, just hanging out. My week's been a blur. I was out of town. I was back in town. I was out of town again. I'm back in town. Alicia was in Cancun for a week with her cousin. She had a great time. She's back. I'm thrilled she's back. Ava, our daughter, just did great with all the transition. And so we're just doing great. And I've been working in the yard a ton. I tell you, if I could not be a singer, I would definitely want to work in landscaping. Landscaping. I, I would. I love working in the yard. Yeah. I could spend all day. Don't look at my... I was saying to Alicia the other day, I just... I don't think about anything but what I'm taking care of in that moment. It's just... Zen. I love it. It is zen. Yeah. Which... Thank you. I'd like to wrap up Camp Chitty Chat with um, the Chinese Iron Ball. I'll tell Please. you a little bit about these. History. I was given these years ago. and I don't know what they are. The Chinese Iron Balls have long been famed as one of the three treasures of China. First produced during the Ming Dynasty which existed between 1368 and 1644. Iron balls have often been improved through the ages by skilled Chinese handicraftsmen. Originally, these balls were simple, solid, cylindrical objects. Later, handicraftsmen began designing hollow balls and inserting sounding plates that produced high and low pitches when used. These lighter balls are easily easier to handle and the musical tones contribute to the relaxation process that results from exercising with them. That's a great transition from Camp Chitty Chat into our next segment, which we like to call Camp Awkward. Camp Awkward. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Northern California, and I had phone calls to make with the cantor at um, Temple Isaiah in um, 
Lafayette, California. And he and I went back and forth with lots of phone calls. We were not able to connect. We were leaving messages for each other. He had to be suddenly in New York to attend to an ailing family member. And so he was gone and I was gone and we were not reaching each other. And at one point, I just finally had to leave the information that I left. And so I tried my very best to leave the information for him the best way I could. But it seemed like it took me forever to get the message out. And I, I droned on and on and on. And as I was talking, I could hear this critical voice inside of myself saying, get to the point, Dan. Hello. So I finished the call and I say, thank you, Cantor, very much. The Cantor's Lee Corn. I said, thank you very much. Corn with a K. And I said, thank you. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Whenever you get a chance, it'll be great. And I hang up. And then I went. <laughs> oh, no. And then I looked down at my phone. Oh, no. And I thought I had hung up before I went. But I I had not. The phone was still on. And I was met with this moment of, what do I do now? Do I now hang up and say nothing? Do you you try to solve it? Do you keep going? So what would you do? I did. I did what I did. I said, I picked the phone back up to my face and said, hey, Lee. I just want you to know, I did that only because I felt like I was, I just, I just named it. I felt I was droning on and on and on. It was taking forever for me to get to the point. And that wham, wham, wham was about me taking forever and me being awkward and ridiculous. Not about you. I just need to, I just, I had to let you know because that's incredibly awkward. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of days. Take care. Click. So that's, that's Camp Awkward for today. And um, we're glad you're here. Episode 18 of the Camp Danny Show. Big news is in is in the works for what's happening with Camp Danny Show and what's happening at all with in in large part with my band. Uh, just this last week, we finally, finally, finally got in the soundtrack for the um, the CDs for the Road to Eden soundtrack. So you can go now to um, to um, JewishRock.com and you can go to the store page and now you can finally buy. The Road to Eden soundtrack. We had a real problem with production that held us up, and we had it available for a while, and then we had to take it down, and it's finally available again for sale. Feel real good about it. It's ten songs from the road we recorded live during the Sukkot tour of 2011, and then about ten or eleven songs from the studio that were inspired by the making of the film. A lot of the songs are from the studio are used in the film itself, and um, some of them were just simply inspired by the making of the film. So I'm excited about that. It's the Road to Eden soundtrack, and you can find it at the store page on jewishrock.com. This segment of the Camp Danny Show brought to you by Mr. Bucket. That's right, I'm Mr. Bucket. I'm Mr. Bucket. Toss your balls in my top, I'm Mr. Bucket. Out of my mouth I will pop, I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all gonna run, I'm Mr. Bucket. The game's Mr. Bucket. The first to get their balls into Mr. Bucket wins, but look out, because the balls will pop out of his mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. The balls pop out of my mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. A ball is what I'm about. I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all going to run. I'm Mr. Bucket. Mr. Bucket from Milton Bradley. Whatever happened to Mr. Bucket? I never had one. Did you have one as a kid? Uh, no. I did not have the pleasure of uh, playing with a Mr. Bucket. No. Unfortunately. Not yet. I do have Electronic Battleship, which, by the way, I challenge you to a head-to-head game. We gonna... should we should do that on the podcast. I've, we're going to do it. Okay. Okay. 
I'm at dinner a few months ago, sitting with Alicia and Ava, and the conversation at our table turned to prayer and how sometimes prayer is just difficult. It's hard. And so often we're not in it. We're not feeling it. And it just doesn't resonate. And what to do with that feeling. And we're all talking about this. And then that, that, that conversation rolled out into a conversation about belief and what we do believe and what we don't believe. And then it was time to, you know, do homework and take a bath or whatever and go to bed. So that, that, that ended, but it didn't end for me. And the next day I was in the studio working on some things and I thought about that conversation around the dinner table and it got to me thinking about what do I believe? What do I believe in? In fact, I have to tell you, there are plenty of things that I say I believe in all the time that I just say I believe in them, but I don't really, I don't really know if I do. And there are things that I really do believe in that I don't, I don't shout out to the, the, to the world that I really do believe in them. And it made me think, okay, there's something here. And so I grabbed my guitar and I started getting to work. And um, one of the connections here, I think maybe I'm thinking about this, is that Zach Singer is going to be joining us at the end of our show today. And Zach was very influential to me to, uh, he, to start playing and using loop pedals in my work as a way to find inspiration, as a way to work on my craft. And he's been talking to me for at least three years, if not more, maybe five years, about you need to do looping, Dan. Dan, it'll open up new, new places for you. So I started working on this song. It's called I Believe. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to play it for you. And I just want to say a couple things beforehand that's kind of unconventional because in a lot of ways, you don't really unpack an idea beforehand. You let it exist and then let people decide. But in this case, this is a different kind of song, and it gets to what Pete Seeger taught about sometimes it's not whether a song is good or bad, but rather what is the song good for? And why I want to share it with you guys today is because the question I have in my mind, there's so many, but what is this song good for? I'm just starting to play it, and I've played it in a few different environments. I've played it in concert with the band for a nifty audience. Nifty, for those of you who don't know, is the North American Federation of Temple Youth. These are folks that are 7th, 8th grade through high school. And um, this this convention that I played was called the West Coast Party. There were about 350 um, participants there with about 150 staff. And they are really well connected with our music. They know my songs very well. So the audience was very warm and very receptive. And I decided to open the concert with this song. And they, it went great. They loved it. They were singing along by the end. So there's one application for the song. But I'm starting to think after my visit in Edison, New Jersey, this last weekend at Temple Emmanuel, that there may be something here with this song and how it could be used to have a discussion, uh, to do a, an all-camp shiur, an all-camp limud, uh, an all-camp instructional hour on what is it that we believe in. And why do we hold those beliefs the way we hold them? So that's another idea. That being said, here's the way I built the song. I wanted, to, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to find joy in it. And I wanted to speak my truth. And the way I decided to do it was to build the song in this kind of fashion. I would set up couplets. These couplets would be laid out with something I really do believe in or something that is kind of universally held as true or positive or good. And then follow that up on the backside with the couplet with something that was really absurd, 
ridiculous or confusing to, to, to put between, to kind of lay out on this side, there's this idea. And on this side, there's the other one. And there's lots of room in between to find belief. And, and then come to the refrain, which you'll hear in a moment that comes back over and over again. The refrain is really the essence of what I feel and what I really do believe in. And that refrain comes back time and time again. And I want to give you a heads up to almost a warning. There is a bridge in the song that I'm working on that's not finished yet. And it has controversial lyrical content in it. There's nothing that is inappropriate, wrong, exactly. But there is text There is a that has been off-putting to some adults who have listened to it and have told me, I'm... I'm with you to the song until this point, and then you lose me, and then I can't pay attention to the song anymore. It wasn't that I was offended as much as I was distracted by you including that idea in the song. And that has begun another conversation that I would like to talk about when the song is, once we play it. So this is, I believe, this is a demo. This is not done yet, but this is part of my experiment in sharing with you the work that I do and how I do it and trying to bring you into my mindset, my intentionality, and my fun. Um, So this is I Believe.
Okay. That's I Believe, or a demo of I, I Believe. It's not there yet, but it's getting there. And I wanted to share with you the whole song, and I even wanted to set it up because clearly there's there's stuff there that's going on that, um, first off, I get, just to tell you, when I play this song out now, I've played it like five times live, like three times with the band and twice by myself um, for teen audiences, for mixed age audiences, um, for adult audiences, college age audiences. And here's what I'm finding. Uh, after the show, when I'm at the take-home table where the hoodies and the t-shirts and my CDs are, do you know that the one song that people come up to me and ask for is I Believe. They come up and say, uh, it's usually five or six people per show. Which CD has I Believe on it? Now, I, I can't remember the last time I played a live show. I can't remember the last time I played one. And anyone came up to me and said, which, which album has X song on it? This is the first time I can remember that after a show, somebody came up to me and asked me specifically for that song to take home. So that also tells me that it's working somehow in a live environment. It's striking some chord. I know for me why I was saying it was because uh, I'm struggling with what it, what it means to believe and what it means to do my work. And it's not a bad struggle. It's a good struggle. It means I'm engaged. I'm, I'm here. I'm present. And I'm struggling. Um, being, you know, whatever leadership opportunities I have to lead groups, it means that taking that seriously and honoring that. And then it means thinking about what are your intentions for any given moment. And that's, um, that can be hard work. And this song is a way to, for me to, I guess, in a way to vent a lot of some of my feelings. So last weekend I'm in Edison, New Jersey, and I'm at Temple Emanuel. And I had what felt like a little extra time pre-show with about six or seven teens that are involved in the youth group there and some parents who are chaperones and the rabbi David Weisberg and, um, and Cantor Aviva Mayor and then another person who leads um, service music at this temple, um, Jules Frankel, and his wife Susan. We're all hanging out in the library eating sub sandwiches and chips and just talking. And I had a moment inside myself where I said, I'm going to uh, let's talk about this. I have a song I'm thinking about playing tonight. I want to sing it for you guys and tell me what you think. Well, they said, great. And so I played the song for them. And then we had this kind of conversation. Uh, they said, well, what do you want to know about the song? And I said, well, is this a song that's appropriate for me to be playing in a temple? I am going to be standing on the, the bima at the temple and I'm going to be in a sacred space. And is this just too much? I... I'm not here. This is my goal is not to um, offend people. My goal is to get them to think. What do you th think? Well, it's interesting. All the teens, almost to 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 a, to a person, said, "Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with the song. It's it's cool, and it does say a lot of really cool things, and it does make us think. Absolutely, do it." But um, there was one woman who I respect immensely, named Susan, and Susan said. I was with you all the way until this moment where you start to do the bridge and you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good girls will go to heaven. And then you say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good boys will go to heaven. And then you say Kim Jong Il is going to heaven. And then you lost me entirely. And it was so distracting that line that it, I couldn't focus on the song any longer. I couldn't think about what was happening. 
And I don't, I think that part is going to offend a lot of people. It, it almost offended me. And I'm just saying, I need to let you know. And so this was an incredible moment of honesty. This was a great conversation we talked about for a while. And then I remember Cantor Aviva Mayer saying something that was very helpful to me, uh, that felt like a gift. She said, um, I've heard a lot of your songs for many, many years now, and I admire and like a lot of them. And I have to tell you, of all the songs that I've heard you write before, just hearing this song just now, I feel like this is you at your most honest. And that was, that just kind of sealed the deal for me. That's exactly what's going on here. I'm being really honest about what I, I really do feel. And I was putting that out there and she heard that in that. So then we started talking and then this happened. Cantor Leon, Leon Cher is also in the library as this is going on. And he said, you know what? If Ellen Dreskin was here, Cantor Ellen Dreskin, I'm friends with Cantor Ellen Dreskin. So is Leon. Leon and Ellen are in a singing group called Beged Kefet together. He's very close to Ellen. And he says, I feel like if Ellen was in the room right now, she'd say, maybe, maybe you use that line, but you just tweak it a little bit. And what if you were to say, instead of Kim Jong-il is going to heaven, what if you said, will Kim Jong-il be going to heaven? What if you asked the question and then let the listener, you'd think about that. What might that be like? And, um, it was an incredible moment because I think he's absolutely right. Ellen Dreskin, she was right in the room in that moment with us. That's exactly the kind of thing she would say. And that's so helpful. And it still allows me to be playful with this idea, with the imagery, and, and reach and scan both left and right. Go to the extremes with the idea without being offensive. And um, that was definitely what I was going for. I wasn't trying to shock people as much as I was make, making th- them think while also making them laugh. So I decided to include it in the show and I did it in the concert and I sang one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good girls will go to heaven. Marilyn Monroe is up in heaven. All one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good boys will go to heaven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Will Kim Jong-il be going to heaven? And then just grooved on it, finished out the song. The song ended I do it live the same way it's on that recording you just heard. I have a little looper pedal and I fade down the the tempo so that it just sounds like it's, you know, melting down. And then I just held and there was silence in the room for like one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, silence. And I, five seconds, silence. I don't remember a song that I've ever played in front of a live audience that gathered that kind of focus at the end of it as that moment did for me last weekend in Edison, New Jersey. It was for me professionally, it was a, whoa, I'm not prepared for this. I didn't anticipate that the room would be silent and they did clap. I don't think there was a, a lack of clapping because they were there. I don't, I didn't read from the room and they were offended. I, I read from that. What is he going to do next? And they were right there with me. It was a, it was a great moment. And, and then just a couple days ago, I got some more feedback about the song that I want to share with you that, okay, here's what it was. Um, I don't want, I don't want to, I can't give any names cause I haven't talked to them about, um, whether they're okay for me to share the whole story here. So I can tell you this, I got some feedback from a person who's 
friends with another person that was, they both were at the show and they said that, um, they struggle with the God concept, this idea of believing in God in a profound way. In fact, they're in, they have gone through many times recently where they're incredibly angry at God and with God. And this idea of belief and what are you going to believe in and what do you have faith in is all thrown up in the air in question because of what they're going through right now in their own life. And it's a very intense, it's very visceral, and it's a very difficult, challenging relationship with God right now for them. And... Of all the songs that I did that night, this song, I believe, was the one that was one of the ones that was that resonated with them the most because it gave voice, it gave space for them to um, recognize their own struggles in, the, in their disbelief or in their questioning. This gave them a place to be. Like Hashkivenu is a as a nice little pretty text but it's definitely kind of filled with rainbows and soft little cuddly kittens and it's all furry and and it's fluffy and it's safe and it's and it's got nice beautiful positive images in the relationship between people and god this idea of i believe is a different place it's for it's almost the place for the non-believers to park or the ones who are struggling going you know what i don't believe any of that crap i don't even know what i believe and what I got in feedback this last week was this song, I believe, gave a place for the certain audience members to park in that place. And that's exciting to me because that means I may be reaching other people that I didn't reach before I wrote this song. That is exciting to me. The song's not done. I still have to, it's done. It's definitely not there, but I feel like I'm on the path, on the right path. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Send me, send me an email, dan at jewishrock.com. You can um, check out, you know, our website and email me through our website. Just send me an email. You can check me out at Facebook as well, Dan at Facebook forward slash Dan Nichols and 18. But I want to hear from you. I welcome your feedback, whatever it is, good, bad, up, down, detailed, whatever. I'm going to pay attention to it and try to use it to grow. Um, up next, we got a great segment with Zach Singer, um, Jewish guy, a musician from Los Angeles, California. He's going to be coming on and joining us for this next little block. We're very excited to have him on. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Grab a, I don't know, a sandwich. I don't know what you need. Some. We're enjoying peanut-filled pretzels right now. Do what you need to do. If you're nut-free, I don't know, get a fruit roll-up. Do what you have to do and come on back. We're going to make this thing happen next. Zach Singer is up next on the Camp Danny Show. Welcome back to the Camp Danny Show. I'm your host, Little Nanny Dickles. Our guest for episode 18 of the Camp Danny Show, Zach Singer. Zach Singer is a musician from Los Angeles. And I first met Zach Singer in 1999, maybe 2000. 97. 1999 at the Kutz Camp. Okay, I saw you. But we didn't meet. Okay, I saw you in 97 at Camp Swig. And Mark, three, two, one. Hi, this is Dan. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's so great. It's the that is the nature of this show. No, no I'm going to keep it all. Dan, we're we're no keeping it all. My hand is literally over my mouth. 
I remember, oh, there's my truth. I remember meeting go. Zach Singer in 1999 at the URJ Kutz Camp for Living Judaism. 2000. <laughs> Zach was a participant in the Kutz program. Oh, 98. I was visiting, <laughs> and Zach and I met in one of the rooms off the main the main hall. Uh, Rosalie Boxed, Cantor Rosalie Boxed, made the introduction. And uh, I remember the look on your face. Was It was as if you were looking right through me and into me and going, you know, I know that you're full of it. And I remember <laughs> oh. feeling like, this guy doesn't know me at all, and he thinks I'm full of it. And I felt so naked and vulnerable. And that actually began a really, I felt for me, like an awesome conversation that about music and about being real. And that's what I've always loved about our friendship and about our relationship. And so that's why I wanted to have Zach Singer on the Camp Danny Show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Zach Singer. Thank you. Thank you. Well, okay. It's a little sound effects. Okay. Thank you, Camp hold Danny Show. Closer, closer and to the mic. Well, please welcome Zach Singer. Uh, in, in, in the moments just prior to recording, um, Danny gave me a tour of all these instruments ar uh, around the Nichols estate, but he just just grabbed that glockenspiel out of nowhere. <laughs> Wild. Can Thanks. I address that one moment? I, I have lots of questions for you, but can I address that one moment when, <laughs> when we met in, uh, in, in the room, uh, the one room with the air conditioner at Kutz in 2000 when I was on ad staff? That's it. 2000. Here's yeah, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry to bust your balls about the years. Um so I was the guitar kid and and not that there weren't more but but they put us together. Mm. I I was I, I you know, be working on the ad staff and not being an RA is sort of like maintenance. It's glorified maintenance. I mean, I did maintenance. I I I I uh like my main jobs were sweeping and tearing down birds' nests. So, you know, the goings Sounds like on. Camp. Sounds the, like yeah, camp. But, but the other, the goings on and the programs and the special yeah. stuff about camp, yeah. who knows? So this is all I know. Guys, the guy who wrote the Nana song is coming. Nana, <laughs> let's go. Let's. <laughs> hey, Zach. Zach, I got to put you in the room with Nana song. I'm like, well. I'm like, well, what do I care? We didn't finish watching Godfather last night. And, <laughs> and, or, or like, Danielle is making the eyes at me. I only have one more hour. I'm going to, oh, great. Okay, great. You have Nana here. Um, and that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. However awkward and difficult it was. So, I, Danny, I, ha I have a series of questions I'd like to ask you. Um, this is this is how I finagled my way onto the Camp Danny show was saying, hey, how about I just ask you a bunch of stuff and see see how how, how it goes. And what that's really that I love it. I loved it when you asked me. And that's really the nature of the show in the first place is just to get in there and get busy and do do something and we'll figure yeah. it out. Process process will reveal the truth. So when you said you want to do this, I said yes. And so here we are. I'm ready. So here we are. So remember when you're in the Beatles? <laughs> that was awesome. <sighs> and when you said, when you said, the love you save is equal to the love you make. 
Is that true? Those are good lyrics. I should write that song. It's a good idea for a song. So I'd like to begin this morning with the famous questionnaire by the greatest talk show host of all time, Bernard Pivot. <laughs> you, you, you know where I'm going? No, I have no idea. I'm ignorant to this. Okay. Ready? Yes. Here we go. Dan, what is your favorite word? <laughs> Cheesy. This is the- I, it's, a, it's a compound. I'd like to, the opportunity for a compound. Cheesy nuggets. <laughs> Cheesy nuggets. What is your least favorite word? It's a word that is not a favorite, but then it's so disturbing I also like it. Niblets. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Seriously, these are the questions you're doing? That would be uh, niblets. I don't... I'm sorry. Well, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. These are the questions from inside the actor's yeah. studio. This is... There's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm, do, I'm right. doing this, but then then it's going to go a whole other place. So... Okay. You're, you, so far, you love nuggets and you hate niblets. But I will use the word niblets regularly as a way to kind of... Like aversion therapy, kind of get a reach around and get back into it and be okay with I niblets. Actually, Really don't remember the what turns you on question, but let's do it. What sh- and I'll do my James Lipton voice. Uh-huh. Uh, Daniel, what turns you on? <laughs> Creatively? Yes. Because I'm not, I'm not going to share what turns me on. That, period. That's not, that's not appropriate. I said creatively, spiritually, or emotionally, uh-huh. but you can take it any direction you want. Uh-huh. Very interesting how you approach that. This is like a stream of consciousness thing. Spirituality, uh, what turns me on creatively, spiritually, is um, vulnerability. In worship and uh, when I'm with people and they're willing to be what Alicia calls like but honest, just really raw and real. That that turns me on spiritually. It makes me connect with the Holy One, truthfully. can you uh, can you tell us can you tell us that philosophy one more time? But honesty. But well, we'll honesty. have to have Alicia on the show. I'm going to just bet you a buck. She's going to say, "Pass." <laughs> what but, turns uh, you off? Um, lack of integrity. What is your favorite curse word? F word. Um, excuse me. The word with the fricative that then moves to an a vowel and ends in a hard um, uh, K sound. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to research and figure out what that is. Google. What's Google? What's that. what sound or noise do you love? Flatulence. What sound or noise do you hate? My daughter crying. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Landscaping. What profession would you not like to do? Math teacher. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? At the pearly gates. 
Grab a marshmallow. We're having s'mores. Nice. That's an excellent answer. Okay, now this one, there's there's no wrong answer. Ready? Thriller or off the wall? Thriller. I'm sorry. The answer is bad. No, Thriller. <laughs> thriller is true. Did you, okay. did you go to prom, Dan, in high school? Junior prom, I didn't go to because I judged it as an incredible waste of time and pure silliness. Senior prom, I planned not to go to, and then all of my friends got to me and said, you got to, you got to go, it's your senior prom. And I was like, no, I don't want to go to senior prom. And so I didn't, but then a friend of mine in our crew, a girl, Jennifer, asked me to go, and I said, no, I'm not going to prom. It's an incredible waste of time. It's frivolous. Don't get wrapped up in the hoo-ha there. I heard her feelings. I because I'm stupid, and uh, didn't think about her feelings when she was asking me. Like, I could have been a good friend and said, absolutely, I'd love to go. Yeah, she's adorable. And we grew up together. Yeah, I know. He's going to edit that out. Uh, Say that again. Say that line again. I'll do my own edit. Say what? Say go. What What a dick. Dude, no. Hold on. Well, again, two, three. (laughs) No, three, two, one. What a dick. Okay. All right. You can totally get that in a Disney movie, man. Okay. Sorry. So your girl wants to go to prom with you. No, no, no. So Why? Don, I didn't go. And then the last last minute, all that those same friends said, listen, you've got to go. We're all going. you got to go. So I went by myself. I put on a stupid tuxedo and I went. And I, did you get a picture? It was, I, I, I think I did. What it was, co- it was oh. miserable. What color was the? Pathetic. What was the tux a color? It was black, no, classic was black. black. Oh, classic I was hoping black. for like baby blue. Tux? Did Did you like run to the tux shop that was as the guy was closing up? VIP say, tux shop go. in the yeah. Crabtree Valley Mall. <gasps> VIP. Oh yeah, yeah. Enlo, yeah. Enlo High School. That one. I did that, and it was miserable. So did the girl go? She did, with her friends. <laughs> oh yeah. no. Yeah, no, this no. is. A, you just revealed. You just opened up another—not so a sore, but another another factor that shows that I'm really just not cool. Oh, let's. We're gonna explore that's being that as kind. far as I possibly okay. can. Um, wait. So, what did you do? You're you're alone at at prom. So, but you hung out with your group of friends who got the limo, right? Or are they like, nah, Dan, get out of here. We don't want to be seen with you. No, I was welcomed everywhere I went, but I basically. You know, all the friends had dinners in various restaurants around town. And then we ultimately ended up at the Marriott across from Crabtree Valley Mall and Glenwood Avenue. That's where the prom was hosted. So people are going out. And so I made my way pathetically in my dad's uh, orange, burnt orange Sienna uh, Toyota Corolla uh, to the steak and ale. Uh, you know, to, to all the restaurants and visited the tables of all my friends. How's your meal? How are you guys doing tonight? Fine, Dan. And they're all happy and having a good time. And then I ended up at the Marriott and there was a dance and I watched the dancing and listened to the music and then went into the photograph booth and that was it. And then I went to a party. I knew no one and I went home. I was home by 1030. What you're telling me sounds like the guy who spikes the punch. Now, you're not the kind of guy I would think would spike the punch, but that whole story is the guy who causes some trouble. So. I so could have gone rogue and been that guy. I didn't, I'm not smart enough to know that I had that potential. I ended up at home at 1030, got out my acoustic guitar, and played myself to there sleep. We go. Oh, yeah. my God. That's, awesome. That's how you got to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Um, what, was the, what was the last dance? What, or what was the big slow jam of 
year. Some heavy high, high, heavy high school cheese. What year is your prom? Mm. That would have been 1987. Dun, dun, dun. So, you know, it's probably Madonna. It's yeah. Charlie Madonna. Which, what's, what's slow dance Madonna? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> All right. Maybe I don't know. All right. All right, Dan. What are the notes in the F sharp Fragish scale? Hold on. No, 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 no. Dan's grabbing a, a jumbo guild 12 string. Perfect. F sharp, G sharp, A, no. B, C sharp, D sharp. You are way off already. And You're C way. natural. You're way Final way answer. Off. Can you please, right. okay, hold on. Can you please use, let me start over. Please use Fragish in a sentence. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier to say Fragin than Frag. Um, by the way, guys, uh, in case you were wondering, the the answer is F sharp, G, A sharp, B, C sharp, D, E, otherwise known as F sharp Phrygian with the natural third. This theory yeah. moment brought to you by Zach Singer. I'm just, you know. Fragish. F-R-E-I-G-A-I-S-H. I'm, oh. I, I'm less concerned with the uh, English spellings of Yiddish words. Tian, what is your spirit animal? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, woodchuck. Really? These are the these are the questions you're asking me. Really? You know, the, the, I will say. Pause. The, the feedback we got from the last podcast, which I admit, I admit, was two and a half hours long. We're not doing that again. Uh, was you're going to have people sit around and listen to a bunch of crap? Are you going to get to the point? <laughs> uh, I guess we're going to have people sit around and listen to a bunch of crap. Um, woodchuck. Really? I am having you fun, Zach, and that's what this is about. All right. And let's keep going on this yep. ride. What is your favorite Meryl Streep movie? Sophie's Choice. <laughs> so depressing. I know. It I play I, I like that I like to watch that movie. I like I like to play with a sore tooth. Does uh I wanna ask about about um when you first starting started hearing people do your songs away from you. But but what I want to ask first is, do you ever hear your songs? Um sung or played incorrectly and it irks you before i answer that it my second favorite meryl streep movie if it if i couldn't watch sophie's choice would be flash dance so, meryl streep is a flash dance yeah she's the dancer what you mean she's no. the maniac on the floor jennifer jennifer beals no no you check go back imdb it i'm you just do it. Uh, do people play my songs incorrectly? What was it? No, no, no. Does it ever bother do, does it ever bother you if people play your songs incorrectly? Play them or, or something irks you. Play them the differently melody, than I play them? Yeah, or, no, 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 no. Or the the melody's a little bit different or the chord's a little different, like uh, you know, how 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 D Friedman used to say, No, 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 no. Bim, Roma. Oh, right, right. I did the hand thing, but only Dan could see. Um, I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to pull a Sanford Kopnik here. Sanford Kopnik used to say, 
okay, draw a line. We were there. Now we're here. I'm going to be serious for a second. When someone else wants to sing my song, quite sincerely, I review that as a gift and on, I'm being honored. And uh, when you decide to play my song, you're going to play it the way it works for you. And when I play it, I'll play the way it works for me. And if you ask me my opinion, I'll be happy to tell you. But I don't, I don't get wrapped up in that. I, get, I just get focused on, wow, they're actually playing my tune. I'm a lucky dude. All right. That was, that was a pretty good diplomatic answer. It's also, I mean, it's true, though. That's really how I feel about it. I believe that's, 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 uh, that falls in line with your, uh, with your reputation. I could even quote, I would like to quote in next show, a Wilco line on, uh, on this, this two albums ago, the one with the camel on it. There's a line in there oh, in that album. The about, I don't really know. Oh, I love that record so much. It was just like the soundtrack of my life at that time. Uh, was it called Birthday Party or something like that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point of it is there's a line in there I'm paraphrasing about when, you know, you write a song and someone else wants to sing it. I mean, that's what, what it's, I mean, that could just get any better than that. I agree. I just try and try and try and, uh, trying to get to your little idiosyncrasies. Mm. Do you have a, do you have a, a pre or post show ritual? Um, like, is there, is there, do you have a mantra or a warm up or something yes. that you do right before yes. in between? Yes. Um, when whoever talks to you and what yes. do you do? I often get really anxious right before a concert, not with song sessions at all. I can't remember the last time I got anxious before services or before a song session. Before concerts, however, I regularly get anxious and, and I, I'm not in my best Dan self. And what I do to the, my mantra when I'm in that place is something that Jay Korf taught me, which was go, be, do. Just physically go into the space, commit yourself, get there, and then be yourself and then do your work. And that's all you have to think about. You're you're a decent person, and you are prepared enough for this moment. So go, be, do, and that's where that's where I focus, and it gets me past the the anxiety. So, I just used it last weekend, actually. I was anxious because time management. I did not manage my time well, and all of a sudden it was time for the concert, and I was not ready, and um, that really helped me. Do you watch a clock when you're playing? Sometimes. I just started doing that. I've heard lately a lot of people who just have the, have a clock on their board or in front of the monitor. Um, what gets you frustrated while you're performing and how do you work through it? Or do you get frustrated? Oh, yeah. What often gets me frustrated is when I find my become aware that I'm overplaying, that I'm playing too hard, that I'm pushing, vocally pushing and um, – pick pressure, strum pad, strumming too hard. I'm, I'm compressing, I'm pushing and not flowing. And when I become aware of that, it's, uh, and then my adrenaline is flowing in a place where I can't immediately get out of it. That moment where I'm not out of it is that's, that's where I experience frustration. Another time is when our audiences clap on the one and the three. <sighs> For the drummer, I know that is probably the most frustrating thing to ever uh, happen. Yeah. Na 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 na. 
Each yeah. one of us spits LMLO scream. Sometimes, I mean, it works sometimes for on the floor. Like... Really? Oh, um, can I tell you a quick story? Uh, because you said that, because I, I, I've been to this, this Jewish music convention called Havana Share, and so have you. Um, okay, yes, please. Let me set it up. Welcome, yeah, do it. welcome to Storytime with Zach Singer. Let's bring it back to the year 2011 and the... Saturday evening um, open mic at Havana Shira. Uh, there's this hippie, um, hippie Hasid looking percussionist dude who's playing with everybody at the open mic. And I, you know, as a professional musician, and not only that, as a as a, a frequent flyer of open mics throughout the many years, it's all it's rarely it rarely works to have the guy who's never heard your song play. And I was playing a reggae song. We, play, we dance shaking like these like Tibetan balls or something, and it's throwing me off. Well, you were mentioning the hippiness, so I thought I'd give you like some an, uh, he an ambience. I'm, I have a feeling. Anyway, so he's like, "Can I? I'm going to play a reggae song," and I was like, "Okay, but you know, reggae is a backwards beat, right?" So because the kick is the kick in and the snare together on the on the two and the four, right? So it's like, "Go go go!" And I and yeah. I turned to my friends. I turned to Alex Baltowski and Eric Hunker, and I said, "If he turns a beat around, I'm gonna flip my lid." And of course he did. And in the middle of performing, I turned and I go, "Gah, gah." And I, you know, it it definitely everybody noticed, and 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 in their eyes, my performance suffered. But I could not. I can. I man. Play your reggae right. Every style, every pop music style has little bitty idiosyncrasies. By the way, you said Are, turn the beat around, by the way. Uh, and yeah, for my whole life that. until recently, I thought the lyric was turn the beat around, got to eat more chicken. Got to eat more chicken. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what is the best basketball playing camp that you've been to? What oh. camp? Oh. Basketball, so I want to know how the how the camps rate. In terms of intensity, URJ Crane Lake Camp in West Stockbridge, Mass. At Mass, blood sport. There, there's is, nothing is there, more intense. Is as far as quality of ball, more uh, of a finesse game, more of a Cam, uh, Camp Hess Kramer is the best quality ooh, ball. Ooh, they have they have they have a lot of hoops there. Yeah, that is that is a good court for sure. Um, Thank you for bringing basketball into the picture here. It makes me very happy. What's your favorite Jewish-themed movie? Yeah. My first answer, when the first thing that you want, what came to my mind first, or the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Little House on the Prairie was the first thing that came to my mind, but I meant yeah. to say Fiddler on the Roof. But I first said Little House on the Prairie. Who knew? Who knew? Um, are there some some artists, singer-songwriters, musicians, people that you often hear that you cannot stand or that you, when you were growing up, songs that you just wish you would never hear again? Danger, danger, danger. Careful. 
Uh, please repeat the question because I'm I want to get to the controversy. I, right, okay, here. I'm I'm feeling like about now I'm about to be fired from a job. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's coming. Go ahead, let's go. Reask the Dan, repeat. Okay, Dan. Let's get to the core of the issue. What is some music that you wish stopped? Who are some artists and or songs you wish were were flown and boated to the deserted small island nation of Tuvalu? Hmm. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Do it. I'm going to say it. And I feel this sincerely. Footloose has to stop. Okay. All Camp Dance Shira thing, the word that song is danced to, it just has to stop right now. Okay. While I take offense to to your anti logins in Messina take, um, I would like I would like some a little more controversy. What, tell me some music you don't like, man. What bothers me musically? Or, or no 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 I oh okay. Well okay, what's a song that like you know, every every summer there's a song that all camp is bumping. What's what was one of your least favorite? Now are we talking like top forty songs or like songs yeah. that are performed? Yeah, no, like no, not camp, camp songs. No, not camp songs. I oh. see. Like songs on the boombox. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The the song of that summer. The song of that summer, uh-huh. exactly. Which which the song of that summer is your least favorite? Uh, big butts. Not okay. Oh, to that's sing that. that's not, throwing it back. That's not okay. Maybe got that back. Yeah, that, I've heard that done at camp, and I'm not okay with that. that I'm was... a really listen. I'm a really liberal dude. I mean, among my <laughs> crew, I'm probably the most progressive liberal dude I know among my crew. That being said, that song at camp, I have an eight year old daughter. I'm not okay with that being heard and broadcasted for kids. It's not appropriate. I like, shut it down. I become uber conservative and family values, dude. So, th- I'm speaking truth to you. I'm not trying to say the right answer. I'm just telling you the truth. 2007, I was on tour with Greg Cornell. JP, you're, you're yeah, my friend. And, yeah. and we were it's at a camp, camp, and that w- that song was playing, and it was just like, are we, you know. Is, is this really happening? Yeah, this can't be happening. Baby Got Back in, not Baby Got Back, oh, is it a different song? Or no, is it McSlide? Li- where was this at camp? Like, where? Camp Perlman. No, like, oh, I don't mean to call it the camp. But well, like, I'm calling it the little yeah. place, like the venue. Like, was it in the dining hall? Were they like? It was outside? like a, it was an evening program. Oh, and it was uh, ten to you know the unit ten to twelve year old kids oh, okay. having an outdoor yeah. dance party on the basketball court, and that song. Oops! And it's loud. It's uh, the whole camp could hear it. it was so loud. Yikes! I, yeah. How is I that wish, okay? I wish that Sir Mixalot was the worst music that I heard played at camp dances, what? but I I didn't realize. Uh, is it you mean Sir Mix-a-Lot, right? From nineteen ninety one? Or or newer Anaconda, I'm not even, et cetera. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. What um What's your favorite Simpsons episode? Don't watch it. I don't know. Don't that just told us so much about you. Um was uh one of the first songs you wanted to play? Or, or let me let me let me ask. Taxi that. by Harry Chapin. I learned that one in lessons, way too long. <laughs> well, it's one of those songbooks. It's like, oh, 
this is functional to 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 turn nine pages while I'm trying to play for a girl. Yeah. Hold on a second. <laughs> no, I mean I was saying to her that you were playing. Oh. Just carry on. Um, Hold on. Let's do that one again. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on a second. Did you just grab a Harry Chapin songbook? Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> off off, off on. of the mixing board. Let me get to the bridge, dear. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, Sarah. Hold on, bridge. Hold on, it's coming up. Oh, actually, I know the Mandy Patinkin version better than the. the <laughs> no, let's not listen to Taxi. Uh, what? What's your favorite camp movie? Camp movie. Camp movie. Meatballs. Meatballs. I've got to go with meatballs too. I'm running a. Uh, I'm running a radio station this summer at camp, and I just picture myself doing the, the morning meatballs stuff. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a favorite instrumentalist who p- plays something other than what you play? Hmm. Who plays something other? Instrumentalist. Huh. Well... Does like Dave Brubeck count? The, sax- yeah. the saxophone player in his band is my favorite saxophone tone of all saxophone players. Paul Desmond. Yeah. Nice, nice, and and interesting that you pick Paul Desmond because he he also has a controversial saxophone sound. You'll hear you'll hear sax players argue about him a lot because of the reverb treatment. Something like that. He has a very, a very like smooth tone, but but it's really unique. It's. Um, Good answer. Uh, is there a singer or, or singers that you love for um, because they have an it factor that's separate from from a tonal quality like um, someone not ne- necessarily known for their voice? Like, for instance, I love Dylan's voice, but obviously he's not known as a great singer. Huh, yeah. Well, I, I can think of one that comes to mind, but he probably is regarded as a, a great singer, but I, his voice is so distinct, and I admire it, and I don't. Uh, Rufus Wainwright. Okay. I listen to his vibe. Yeah, and I listen to his voice, and, and my intellect goes, I don't understand why I am liking this so much. It sounds like there are marbles in his mouth, and it's swallowed and garbled, and if I have tried to uh, approach that, I would hear voices saying, don't do that, and yet he does it, and it's... It's so intoxicating. I'm drawn in every time. I love his voice. Nice. Um, what's a What's a song you recently learned that you're going to bring to the camps this summer? Oh yeah, um, the new U2 single. Um, oh, what's it called? Shoot, it's on my. I'm working on memorizing it now. Uh, Ordinary Love by you 2 Nice. What is your favorite movie score? The Natural Soundtrack. Well, what's the sound? What, oh, however, you have to however, what? I will say that I just saw a month ago, a month and a half ago, I saw um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. And that soundtrack is tremendous and i have a huge crush on that right now i'm listening to that a lot but will you hum a little bit of the natural is natural the bum, 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 bum. 
coming up. Please hold. <laughs> he should. Uh, he should. No, be you got Hummet. Don't. Are you looking it up? Nah, nah. He's got. Dan Nichols is is looking up the tab of the score of the scene in the natural where Robert Redford hits the lights. Um, and he's going to sing the notes that he's reading from the tab acapella. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I know. <laughs> By the way, uh, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but this this song is written in F-sharp Fragish. <laughs> it certainly I is. I did know that, yes. but I also knew that you were not singing it properly. Um, no, Dan, sit down. Let's let's keep going. Yeah, but this next segment, I want I want you to ask the questions like your game show host. Go. <laughs> Go. Dan, what is your favorite television quote? You big dummy. Did you have a list of songs? When you were 16 at camp to attract girls that you played specifically to attract females. <laughs> no. I don't believe you. <laughs> um, have you ever met Debbie Friedman? Yes. Could you please tell us an amusing story about Deborah Lynn Friedman that the rest of us would not know? My first time at Havanashira, she came to me and said, when I found out you were going to be at Havanashira, I told everybody that I didn't think it was a good idea. And I told them that you should not come. And I want you to know that I was wrong. It's heartfelt. Do you, do you have a funny, any funny stories about her? What is going on? What is that? Are you listening to beach sounds? It's the theme for Match Game, my favorite show, game show uh, as a child. <laughs> that my goes dad won two games of Jeopardy, by the way. Shout out, Mark Singer, 1985, two games of Jeopardy. Wow. I want to see that. Send me the link. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, that would have to be uploaded. I have VHS. It was also on Face the Music in 1980, which is pretty great. Pretty great Jufro and polyester suit. Um, can you your, – your band is called 18. Can you explain that to me? We wanted to create a band name that wasn't Yehuda and the Gefilte Fish. We didn't want it to be a cutesy little Jewish tip of the cap, but we wanted to have something that was more evocative that to a non-Jew, it would just be, it would exist as it was. And then to a knowledgeable Jew, they would get it. I think it was our intention. And 18 is synonymous with the Hebrew word life or, or the Hebrew word for life, chai. And uh, we thought that that felt real good because the mission of our band is to create 
soundtrack for Jewish life. What does that mean? What does soundtrack to Jewish life mean? Especially in a, in a, in a modern day. The dream is that when you're, when you're driving around in the car and you're running errands to the grocery store or you're headed to the dry cleaner or you're going to go get your hair cut or you're going for a run or you're hanging out pre-Shabbat or you're just going to, you know, you're going to bed and you want to put on the mix that this Jewish music by this band would be as every bit as relevant um, in your life as any other favorite pe- playlist you have by any other of your favorite groups. That's the goal. And make it Jewish. No apologies about it. So That sounds hard. We, it's hard. Well, there's a lot of failure wrapped up in that. The first album we did in 1996, the, the Life album, um, the Jewish world that was marketing Jewish music at the time didn't get it. They heard it and said, it's a good-sounding record, but it doesn't sound Jewish. And therefore, we're not going to sell it. That's that's funny because I do one of the things I wrote down was, is there a Jewish sound and what sounds Jewish to you? And I wrote that that was one of the first things I wrote. And then as I'm looking at the list, I'm like, what do I mean when I I'm not going to ask that? What does that mean? But now I am. Is there a Jewish sound, Dan? And what sounds Jewish to you? Sure, there are lots of Jewish sounds. The F-sharp fragish that you referenced earlier that I so expertly named all the notes in the scale. Um, oh, my God. I would want to punch someone if they asked me a question like that. that that's, that's, a, that's a Jewish sound, unquestionably. You know, you know, which I would even go even more specific to say that, that, um, that harmonic minor, kind of that halftone, that lift, and that drop is that, is that sound. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really don't. I, my my artistic time and efforts are spent in asking that question and then having the answer come through in whatever you know sounds I make, and then just trusting the process. Um, I think this is an incredible time in Jewish history and an incredible time in Jewish American life. There's so much um, privilege, opportunity um, uh, right now for Jews in North America. Just so much freedom in every sense. And um, that this is a very exciting time to be, I think, to be creating Jewish music and asking that question, what, you know, what is a Jewish sound today? And what do I want this to sound like? And how am I going to mark this as a Jewish song? You know, I, I'm not being cute to say, I, I think the, the, um, the power comes from asking the questions, not in necessarily having the answers. Because the, because the answers, to me, mark a, um, a destination, a final end point, whereas mm-hmm. the engagement in asking the questions um, marks a, uh, is a marker for being engaged in process. Birth is the beginning and death the destination. Alvin Fine. I love that poem. So what, just name one or two songs that you played at camp that, that worked for the ladies. Huh. I'll tell you in my You really era, want this question. Why don't you tell me what yours were? No, I'll, I'll say, well, I wasn't that kid, first of all. I was long hair, smelly, guitar, angry kid. Okay. And what, when you said at the beginning that I looked at you like you were full of it, it was because I knew I was full of it and could also see a little bit of that in you. Mm. <laughs> um, hmm. 
but every but it was like, come on, play Crash Enemy, guys, play Crash Enemy. Mm. And every girl I knew played played closer to fine, but I'm pretty sure that that went back mm-hmm. for years. So I know for me, for me, it was Crash Enemy. For when I was a, a staff song leader, it became Your Body Is a Wonderland, which is essentially the same song. What was it for you? Well, shoot, I'm not going to be able to give you the cool, funny answer there because why is it funny? I, well. I, be, when I was a kid and playing music, I, w- I was a really intense dude who was brooding often and was, uh, like me. <laughs> I really was. And um, I was very intense and this, and then playing the music was my coping mechanism. It was how I stayed sane and hopeful in a time when I was very scared and anxious and dealing with depression and not aware of any of those things and not being taken care of in those ways. And the guitar became my life preserver. And so the songs I played were the songs that helped me feel okay at the end of the day. So I was playing Harry Chapin, like learning the catalog and playing those songs and memorizing and playing those songs for, you know, Lights Out programs and playing those at camp at Staff Bait Cafes. And I honestly, I was never singing those songs with this one's going to, I'm going to get a girlfriend from this one. I'm going to hook up tonight because I played the, the, the right beautiful song it was about for me at the time i was just the sad thing too is i was too wrapped up in my own sadness or whatever you know i was very self-involved you know that's part of being depressed is like being self-involved yeah um i relate to what you said very much so i'm gonna ask the same question a different way what were the what was the song the other guys were playing (laughs) oh interesting huh because i didn't because i preface this with i didn't play it either Probably a lot of now, James Taylor, you know, like Blossom, you Fire and me, Rain. Can you tell me about a time, um, like set the scene for a performance or a camp thing where where things were going wrong right off the bat or you had a bad vibe yeah. um, and you were to- – and, and it turned out complete – the opposite of how you expected or something that that seemed seemed really like it was really not going to be a good situation but turned out great that ever happened hmm. I, what's coming and, to my mind is the, it, well the, the vice versa story comes to my mind right off the bat we got hired maybe 1999 i think maybe maybe 2000 2001 i don't know right in there to play a, a maccabi games in washington dc and uh, we were told it was going to be out on the Washington Monument lawn. And um, it was going to be for three to 5,000 people. All the participants at the Maccabi Games, like, oh, we're going to play for, for 3,000 people? Amazing. And you're the only band that's playing. And all the kids are going to be coming out of some, like the Smithsonian Museum. They're going to come across the lawn, and they're going to come to you in the, the giant tent. We've got this huge PA for you. So we did the show. And, well, we, we were fired. I was very fired up to do this. And um, uh, moments before we're, we're going to get on, we're on backstage and the, the event coordinator is back there and he's talking to, I guess, the stage manager, whoever else he needs to be talking to and just loud enough within our earshot because we're right behind him or whatever. And he's like, and he starts going, who are these guys? Who the hell are these guys? <laughs> and like, we're all looking at each other and um, the stage manager explains to the head dude who we are and why we're there and he's like well listen these guys better be good and <laughs> i remember mark and i so we look at each other and we're like 
oh, this is not a good way to start. <laughs> this doesn't build confidence in us. So when we take the stage and we can see through the tent, this enormous tent that's op- open air on the sides, we can see the Smithsonian, we can see 3,000 kids coming towards the tent. And we're given the instruction by the stage manager and the boss dude, start playing, start playing. And I remember thinking, I think we should wait till everybody's in the tent and then we're introduced and we play. And I said, I think we should do this. And he said, no, I want you to play now. Well, he's our boss, man. So we start playing now. And I literally watched 3,000 people walk towards the tent and make a left turn towards the Washington Monument on the grass. (laughs) And we played for, there may have been maybe 15 people in the tent, two of whom were my mom and dad. (laughs) Oh, I wish I didn't know how that felt. That Um, happened. That sounds that sounds so much like Ravi Shankar's performance at Monterey Pop. I have no idea. Wow. I will tell you this, too. <laughs> Any time that someone wants to give me a gift and say, dude, you're a rock star, I think about moments like that and say, "I listen, I'm not a rock star. I'm not. I don't want to be, first off. Secondly, I'm not. Because that kind of stuff happens all the time. And that's not rock star material. That's like uh, something else. And I'm fine with it i learned a lot from that a lot the other one the other one about like having bad feeling about it's going to go bad and then it turns out so great i'm gonna have to think about that a little bit more i'm not sure something comes to mind it's funny i can pull up the bad ones it's hard harder to pull up the good ones you know i i like i like a lot of what you just said it resonates um to to who i know you to be because i've witnessed that how much easier you respond to people who just come up to you to talk and and ask you questions and introduce themselves as opposed to because you do get people that approach you like fawning fans and I can right yeah I can some, imagine sometimes. that being wild so what I want to ask is is uh, what's a compliment What's a compliment that really means something to you or what's something that you would would really love for someone to say about this particular performance or something that you're focusing on? Um, does it make sense? Yeah. When I'm recognized by people who I respect, um, when I'm recognized, period, by others as being a real mensch, I feel so good. I feel so good about me and the way I'm doing the work. So if you get off stage at at a, a camp song session concert and however many people come up to you, what is the one thing what is something that a kid would say to you that would that would really get you beyond beyond uh oh it was great, it was wonderful, I love Vitella Melohim. I'm not saying that that's not fantastic. What I, I'm saying is yeah. I don't hear the youth. I don't hear any negativity about that, and I, I appreciate. I'm not saying. Yeah. Sorry. Do when, you know what I'm asking? Yeah. When a kid comes up and gives me a comment about a song that they've heard, and they'll talk to me about how it made them think or feel differently than they've ever thought or felt before, and they will, they will tell me in detail about what that process was like, what that song made them think of, what it's going to make them think going forward. Those moments um, feel great because that 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 shines a light on part of my mission, which is also as as an educator, an informal educator. And I'm trying. I'm also one of my goals when I perform is to try to teach, yeah, teach in a way that's entertaining and um, 
delightful for the audience where they don't even realize they're necessarily, quote, learning something with air quotes um, and flipping the script on what people think can be a learning environment. Like the song um, that I do a lot now, a song by Bob Blue called Courage. That song seems to stop people in their tracks regularly. And it's really, I mean, I do the song well. I, I've got it I've got it down. But I think it's its not really about my performance. It's much more about um, the, the song itself. And um, I feel so good when I'm able to get a group to, to hear a story like that and then reflect reflect the, those ideas through their own life and how they're going to behave. And I learned that skill from going to camp, being a camp counselor, to value that. Nice. I know um, as a as a performer, but especially as a song leader and um, one who's been able to 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 be in as many unique places as you have. Can you can you tell us about um, some spaces, some moments where you're here and the crowd is in front of you that were especially magical or special? Because I, I have mine, and I, I know some of the bullet points of where you've been, so I, I'm really curious what, not even necessarily the music, just vibe, sunset, what are some of the best places? It's my 40th birthday, and the band had a show in Israel. It was Nifty celebrating its 50th birthday, and I think it was Nifty celebrating its 50th birthday, and it's and Israel's 60th, and... We played a show at Masada from one in the morning till three thirty in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, for eight hundred wow. folks at the base of Masada, the stage where David Broza does his show every year, and um, that was incredible. And then to, to finish that show and then sit on those those steps and watch the sunrise, and then literally run up the Roman ramp to catch all of Nifty who had already gone up. We'd finished the show, and then we're just sitting on the steps, watch the band as the crew's tearing down. This is at you know five in the morning, and we're sitting, and we're drinking a beer, and we're watching the sunrise, and the crew's tearing down, and all of Nifty is coming, is climbing up the Roman ramp side in the darkness, and they're playing drums and blowing shofarot, and uh, it's this primal thing as they're ascending to the top of Masada, and I'm hanging back with Mark and Nathan as we're reflecting on the show sure. and just kind of watching, taking it all in. And then uh, I go, guys, I I want to be up there. I'll see ya. And then I, so I, after <laughs> we had our moment of zen, I tear off and run up up you know the Roman ramp to get up with Nifty, and then we prayed at the top of the at Masada with all of Nifty. That whole you know, that whole eight hour block was just the best. Wow. Is there a video of that? There is. In fact, Nifty and Dan Nichols and 18 went all in and recorded it. And we have a, a full concert video with multiple cameras and, you know, boom arms, the, the whole thing. And I've got all the audio and it's all mixed and ready to go. And I keep forgetting I haven't done anything with it. I, I don't. Maybe this. And and your your thousands and millions of listeners will will encourage you now to put that stuff out, man. Okay, we're talking um, fourteen people, but I'm happy to share it with them. So 
I want to know a little bit about how I want to know how your family fits fits uh, into your music. Um, tell us uh, just a, bit, a little bit about your wife and daughter, and are they fans? Um, sure, do they like listening to you? Do you go to them for opinions? Are they totally something uh, a separate part of your life? Alicia and I met at, at Goldman Union Camp when we were 14 years old. I liked her very much. We were not, we did not date. Uh, we were to camp together for a few years. She stopped going to camp. I kept going to camp. Nine years later, a mutual friend reintroduced us, a friend, Mark Lerner, uh, who was going to Wash U in St. Louis, where Alicia was going. They knew them. They met there. And Anyway, uh, nine years later, Alicia and I were reintroduced by Mark Lerner, and we fell in love, and we moved in together, and we got married. And Alicia has always been somebody that I've turned to for lots of things in terms of just a practical end of, does, is this melody high in your voice? Because you will help me understand like where to set this for, the, um, for, for women's voices, because I want people to sing this song with me, to um, I've got this lyrical idea, and I, what do you think? And um, Yeah, she, she's just a partner with me in all, every step of my creative flow. But I'm also um, pretty mindful to not. Oh, I, I, I'm. I don't slam her with everything. Um, I'm selective in it because I'm concerned about you know eclipsing um, our relationship and just being too and like too much, giving her too much. Mm-hmm. Um, Ava is eight now, and this is all she's known. You know, this this life where I'm gone during the weekend and home during the week. So that's our normal, and um, she's always been interested in the process. She's regularly coming into the studio and, hey, say, Dad, can I play glockenspiel on this, or can I sit in and play my viola on this and just track something? She's just, she's just free. She's unencumbered by, you know, the critique. She just lets it flow, and that's I find that very inspiring. So we often get together and just have jams, and and nice. and that's I I get to such a good creative space after she and I work together, play together, because <laughs> I watch, I pay attention to how she flows, and then I I'm I'm inspired by that. Like that's that's how to behave. That's how just let go, and that's what she's great at. Whether it's on the drums or, you know, so um, I do share things with Ava, and she does evidently listen to music when I'm out of town. Like they have our my CDs in their car, and they'll listen to them. With some regularity, which is bizarre to me, because <laughs> and wonderful, but I, I again, I'm kind of careful. I try not to, like, it's not. I write. How do I say this? I'm just. I try to be careful with not hitting them with too much information. I don't want to wear it out because it's sacred to me that they are interested at all. But they're not fans. They're they are they're my people. You know, they're my family. They're clan. Yeah. Um. Can you? I want to. I'd like you to tell a story about about a moment that that we had that we've discussed a couple times, and uh, it'd, it'd be the Saturday night of Havanashira, um, two thousand five. Is my first Havanashira. Okay. I want to. I want to know what your experience was because I've I've heard this heard about this night a million different ways, like like three because three three different ways. In May of two thousand and five. Alicia and I, before Havanashira, took a beach house in Topsail for a week. Alicia was pregnant with Ava, and I, we knew that I was going to be gone. When Havanashira hits every year, like Memorial Day, around there, from that time till mid-August, I'm on the road. I'm pretty much gone. 
And uh, so we, at that time, I like to, to carve out a week at the beach before the madness begins and just do nothing. Just read books, play in the water, eat seafood, and hang out. So that's what we were doing. And while I was there, I brought my guitar, and I wrote a four-part nigun that works. Um, it's, yeah, four parts that work together, and it felt right. And I wrote it just as a bit of a meditation as I was watching the waves roll and thinking about becoming a dad and hanging out with my wife who's pregnant. And it was just trying to connect with some holiness as I'm watching nature. And um, the inspiration with the, the curves of the waves as they were curling, I found myself like just staring and zoning on the curve, the top lip of the waves as they were rolling as I wrote that nigun. And then a week later, I was at Havanashira and I thought I'd share it. So I shared it with the faculty. And I have a memory of Mary Arian uh, like giving me the confidence of, yeah, this is worth sharing with the group. It would be great to hear Havanashira, 250 people sing this in four parts. That would be really, really cool. Definitely do it. And so I taught it at Havanashira. And it seemed, it seemed to lift well, and it seemed to work. And that was that. And then, I don't know, a few hours later, in transition from one space to the next, like from the one building to the dining hall, as people were moving, I'm talking to friends, and I hear across, you know, 100 yards away from me, people singing the nigun, like in four parts. And then the next day, as I'm going from one building to the next on camp, I'm moving from transitioning from thing to thing. I hear 25 feet from me, four other people singing it. Just just a quick pause. My group of friends who I just met, we were absolutely singing it in the shower. (laughs) That was just, I, I can't, I didn't feel proud. I felt it was kind of freaky. It kind of like, it was kind of freaky. Like, um, wow. How is that possible? I had no idea. Almost like it's, are they, did they see me and they're singing it to make fun of me? Cause I'm walking by. Ha ha ha. I, that's what I initially thought. And that was that. Then it's Can the I last. Pause you just for a yeah. second. Just cause I want to interject some other stuff that was going on that Havana Shira. Um, I heard Craig Taubin said one of the, the greatest things I've, I've ever heard that when we write new, new Jewish music, um, and new melodies where he said, I think we're rescuing the the age old lost melodies of the past. So while everybody's everybody's singing this this melody, that that phrase was echoing in my head the whole time. Continue, please. Wow. That's cool. I didn't know Craig said that. Huh. So I remember I mean, I I just remember that over the course of the days from the day I taught it to the last day, it was kind of kept hearing it and it I felt a little bit bashful about that like oh shucks wow I had no idea wow and um when, when moments like that happen I don't feel exciting <laughs> well, and cool and like I'm a dude I feel um small not not worthy not that I don't feel worthy but I feel small I'm humbled by it that's just how I respond to it it's anyway that's that so therapy hour with Dan Nichols. Um, I'm just insecure enough where that kind of reflection comes back to me and I immediately doubt it instead of immediately embrace it. I uh, doubt it first. That probably speaks to, you know, fear. But um, my memory is the last night of Havanashira. The faculty had had a reception at Jerry Kay's, the director's house. We were walking back from the reception. It was very late, two or three in the morning. I'm walking back and I walk, I walk from 
the uh, I'm walking basically I'm walking back and I as I'm walking to my room I hear the melody being sung this nigun being sung in the rotunda where the main program space is and somebody and I'm like I'm trying to be I'm like just okay one more pause one more quick yeah. pause just just to let you know what the plan was there um, so for those of you who haven't been to Havana Shira on the, on the final night, there's there's an open mic essentially every night, and on the final night, because there's a there's a faculty concert in Havdal and all of that stuff, the open mic typically begins at one a.m. or later. So and, uh, and this by the by the time it ends is very often four a.m. and and the plan all along with me, I was playing bass and these three other guys was the very second, the very moment the final song is over, we go straight into Dan's Nigun. And we didn't expect and had no idea that anybody was going to come back uh, from the faculty. We just wanted to do it. There. Now I'm, now I'm totally done. Wow. So I'm walking in and it's being sung. And my memory is somebody saw me walk by and somebody ran out the door put their arm around me and said, come, 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 come in here. So there's this positivity and this bubbly like excitement. I'm brought in to five or six people, you, um, you being one of them, playing bass as I remember, by the, I don't know, in the rotunda, and you're singing this song, all the parts, as with everything you have. And you grab a hold of me and are like, got your arms around my neck and like swinging me around. And... Um, you know, uh, my memory of it, at the first I was thought, okay, you guys are making fun of me. The joke's on me. Like, it's just going to be, I'm, I'm about to be punked here. Like, someone's going to come out with a camera and go, ha, 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 you're an idiot. This is your stupid little song. That was, I was thought the joke was on me. Like, that's not, and uh, I didn't understand it. And so immediately I was terrified. I was so uncomfortable, so scared. Like, I was, felt very vulnerable i think there's a mix of the song i do really love it was a part of me it was very holy to me because it was it's the soundtrack it's the sound of me trying to meditate on i'm going to be a dad my wife is pregnant i want that to be i want her to be healthy i want her to feel good i'm leaving her how is she going to do i'm going to have an ashira it's very intense there i got to just make music to be okay and with the moment and that 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 sound is the sound of me like feeling those feelings so it's intense and uh and then you guys were singing it in a way, and I, I was afraid that you were making fun of me. And then that made me really uncomfortable. Like, oh, don't make fun of this. This is precious to me. And then I was like, we Dude. were we were making fun of you, but only for the first two minutes of the song, and then for the for the next eighteen, we were we were all with you. <laughs> and then it just went on and on and on. And then I just went, I had to go. It was trust fall into it. I was like, this uh, I got to trust fall into this. You guys are doing this because. It's real, and this is how you feel, and it's okay, and there's love there, and it's fine. And so I tried to lean back into that, and then I came home, and I told Alicia that that really freaked me out. I told her the whole story, and, and I was terrified. Yeah, I, I know that, that it does. Uh, it did, and, and we've talked about it a bunch, but um, what, what I hope, what I know you know uh, is that, you know, the song is greater than us, and and. Even though, and it was uh, after that, it was a little silly. They played Kahila Kadosh, and I remember people picking you up, like, like it, it was yeah. a bar mitzvah. But, yeah. And I was just like, "Tell me the court." Uh, <laughs> That's right, you were. But, but it, it was, 
it wasn't about, you know, those kinds of moments aren't about making fun of you or honoring you. I mean, it, we're talking about honoring the other day, actually. It was honoring you that we were doing it, but it was because it was because that's how we felt about the song. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Kunta Kente, behold, <laughs> the only thing greater than yourself. Thank you, Zach. Cool. Uh, do you have uh, Do you have time time to tell us one more story? Well, um, are you? We're gonna we're gonna. I think we're gonna okay. get to a wrap. But um, um, tell you know, tell me a little bit about what you're doing this summer. You I you've started told me of last week, but tell us, Zach, you're gonna be doing something. I think it's kind of cool, and you seem real excited about it. Give us a one minute on what you're gonna do this summer. Uh, this summer. I will be artist in residence at Camp Northland Benet Brith in Halliburton, Ontario, Canada. I believe it is on Lake Halliburton where there's windsurfing. Um, it's a camp of just about 500 campers and 150 staff, and they've never had music as a specialty before. There's not, there's, there hasn't been much um, Jewish content in the past. Um, but the big goal is to have a Shabbat walk. I'm introducing Siyum. But meanwhile, throughout the day, I'm, I'm leading and supervising various activities um, such as uh, recording studio uh, learn and making beats and singing songs into GarageBand or Logic than to put on a camp radio station. And uh, just, just my plan is to get paid to have an 800-member band all season. <laughs> yeah. So as long as they do right by me, they're going to have a great time. Right on. Well, it sounds <laughs> exciting. Um, what are your thoughts about doing something brand new that's never been done in a community before? It's, it's, it's very exciting and also very scary because there's always I've always been given underlying themes um, or that, that all activities have to relate to. Um, and beyond that, I've always had supervisors that weren't necessarily experts in what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And um, this was just a unique opportunity where camp director Louis Sohinki came to me and said, hey, I got a big camp. What would you do with music? And I said, I would make 800 people my band. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited. I have no idea what to expect. I've never even been to Canada, and everybody there is from Toronto. <laughs> I'm excited to hear more about that um, as it's happening and at, after the summer's over. You can tell me like, your reflections. May have you back on and talk to us about that, what you learned. Yeah, thank, thank you, Camp Danny. I've, I, I learned a lot about you today. I really did. Um, a lot of answers went in directions I did not expect, which is always good. Uh, thank you. Find me on YouTube, what have you. Um, What's your ask, band, your band, Kobe Bryant Trio? Oh, I have a band. If you look us up on YouTube, Kobe Bryant Trio, one word, K-O-B-E, how do you spell Bryant? K-O-B-E-B-R-Y-A-N-T-R-I-O. Also, you can look me up on YouTube, Zach Singer, Z-A-C-H-S-I-N-G-E-R, Facebook fan, blah, blah, blah. Well, we love the blah, 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 and we love you, and we're glad, just so pleased, pleased as punch, that you were, you were on with us on episode 18 of the Camp Danny Show. Zach Singer, professional musician from Los Angeles, California, our yeah. guest on the Camp Danny Show today. I want to thank you, Zach, for taking time out of your busy life for this. 
Who Thanks knows? So who knows what'll happen? Um, engineer, our house engineer at the Camp Danny Show, John Paul Farrell. Thank you, JP. Thank you, JP. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Guys, it's camp time. Pack your bags. Bring plenty of socks. Remember, you're going to go home with someone on, someone else's underwear. That's going to happen. And it's not just a euphemism. It's a reality. For Zach Singer, for John Paul Farrell, for the Holy One, for my mom and my dad, for Goldman Union Camp Institute and Jewish campers everywhere, I'll just extend it to all campers everywhere. I'm Dan Nichols. Thanks for being a part of the Camp Danny Show. And look, we got it to what? An hour? An hour and 50 minutes instead of two and a half? That's growth. Take care, everybody. (laughs) Be good. Be holy. You're worth it.